You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, welcome back to Conversations from Way. I'm your host, Aaron Michael Ray. And today we have two lovely guests from our uh, Come From Away Tour family who you will meet very shortly. Uh, but first, we found out that Broadway shows are coming back in September. So that also means we have a countdown, which means the first Broadway show reopens in 111 days from today, the day we record. And we have a lot of work to do before we can go back to rehearsal and safely. And I'm not just talking about COVID, folks. The biggest concern with going back to seeing theater and working in theater is making sure that it's completely COVID safe. But what keeps missing the mark is the lack of discussion on rehearsal safety beyond just COVID. Um, so today, our lovely guests, we have from the Come From Away tour, our production stage manager, Sean Pennington, and our dance captain, Jane Bunting. Um, Sean, who is our production stage manager, his Broadway credits include Wicked, Sondheim on Sondheim, and Next to Normal. And Jane, who is our dance captain, has is our, again, dance captain on tour and has been in Come From Away on Broadway as well. Welcome, you two. Hi, Erin. Hi. So after this article that was exposing Scott Rudin and his behavior in the workplace, it was a big wake-up call for me. And if we want to ensure rehearsal safety, free from discrimination and microaggressions, then we have to start within our own company, which is why I have Sean and Jane with us today for this episode. Um, so I feel like everyone has, at this point, heard of at least what a microaggression is. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I got you on the definition. So a microaggression is an indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group. Now, as microaggressions can be racist, microaggressions can be sexist, they can be ableist, they can be transphobic, all of those things. But the thing that always gets them unnoticed is because they're very subtle and sometimes you don't really catch it right away. So, Sean, I'll ask you first. If you have received a microaggression, have you been able to immediately recognize it each time? I don't think that I have ever received a microaggression. And I think that's because uh, I've actually been thinking about this. Like, what is the climate we all live in that enables microaggressions to exist, right? And I think that it all comes back to the, the macro problem 
which is white equals normal. That mode, you know, that we all sort of live in and that our society has been constructed in. And I think because of that, as a white man, like there are comments that are made about my appearance, my behavior, my isms, like anything that about me, it doesn't hit me as an attack. It doesn't hit me as something that is meant to be derogatory or meant to be personal, meant to put me in a box, meant to do any of these any of these things. And, you know, so I think that, you know, another way to put this is, you know, white privilege, I think, can be redefined as the privilege of individuality, like the the luxury of, of not being stereotyped, the luxury of not having people make assumptions about who you are based just on how you look. So, no, I don't think that I have you know, really experienced a microaggression in the in the way that we're talking about. I will say that I have trained myself or tried to train myself to become hyper aware of microaggressions, to keep my eyes peeled for them and to make sure that this, the environment as a stage manager, you know, my job is to maintain the safest space possible so that artists can create. That's, I, I think of the highest and best calling of the stage manager, right? You're creating a space in which artists can be free to express themselves, to collaborate, and to feel safe while they're doing it. Because you are never more vulnerable than when you're, when you're performing. You're never more vulnerable than when you're revealing your inner self. And so um, I take that all very seriously. And so I think that's, that would be m my answer to it, is that I, I, I try to keep, keep my eyes peeled for it constantly, even though I don't, I don't think experience it myself. And I do love that answer. And I wanted to still ask you this question anyways. You know, even as a white man, I don't know if you've experienced microaggressions before. But if you haven't, I think that's also really eye-opening to other people as well and other people who are also like you. And so that's really why I wanted to ask you that. And I think when we're talking about microaggressions, the one that I think immediately pops into most people's minds who are in any way engaged in what we do it's the issue of hair, right? Hair, specifically black hair and how white people interact with it and their lack of knowledge about it, about, you know, and I think I'm a bald man. People have been fascinated with my bald head at times. Like people feel free to touch my bald head at times without my permission. You know, they, <laughs> it does not bother me in that same way, because historically it has not been used against me in any way. That's like when everyone's like, oh, I don't see what the big mm -hmm. deal is. That's the big deal. The big deal is that my bald head has never been used to hurt me, you know? So, so that's the difference. And I think that's why. And I, and I'm glad you talked about hair. Uh, shout out to you as a bald man for talking about hair on this episode. That takes some courage. <laughs> it really does. Because y'all like, I feel like I've said this maybe three times on this podcast. We could have an entire episode on just hair because that alone in this industry, in every industry, the, you know, like when you were saying how white is the default, like, you know, the Eurocentric hairstyles are always more, are deemed as more beautiful or like very straight hair, you know, which is why it's so controversial, quote unquote, to have, you know, let's say a black woman with natural hair just be at her corporate job, 
or something like that, you know? So that's, again, a whole episode just on that. But Jane, I'll ask you the same thing. If you have received a microaggression, have you been able to immediately recognize it each time? Um, yes, but in different ways. It kind of depends on what the microaggression has been. So um, I always know if there's something that hits me as a microaggression because I'll have a feeling in the pit of my stomach that's like, this makes me really uncomfortable in some way. But there are certain things that it's easier for me to get angry about. And then there are certain things that I question about whether or not they were actually some form of a microaggression and certain kinds of harassment because of societal conditioning. There are certain things that I have questioned uh, whether or not it was that big of a deal. I have questioned my own emotional reaction to certain things. And so, I mean, that that will very much play into when we're talking about reporting, reporting structures, rehearsal safety, as far as that goes. Um, but yeah, I would say very much so um, because it is the term microaggressions. Yes, it is microaggressions in it, but it also, for those of us that experience them on a regular basis in whatever way, it is very much on a macro level, especially when it's something that builds up over time that you just cannot ignore. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So, okay. So then what can we do if we recognize a microaggression towards us or uh, towards somebody else? And how do we address it? I mean... (sighs) I think that it's important to have somebody that you can talk to that you trust um, that is within. So let's say like, you know, within our in our group, because these people that are on the podcast now, uh, we're all in rehearsals together, you know, all the time. And so if we feel like something happens and we have a space where we all trust each other, if we have a structure where there's someone that is sort of on your same level of job that you can talk to that you can sort of help process the emotion of how you're feeling and then making sure that you have somebody that is above you, that you can trust, that you can come to with something that happens and telling them how you feel regardless of whether or not you take action regarding it. Yeah. What do you think, Sean? You know, this is one of, one of the areas where the management structure becomes very, very, very important because two things have to happen in order for this to get nipped in the bud. Like one, the person who has been attacked by the microaggression needs to feel safe to report it and to talk about it and to do so in a way that will be free of consequence. And with the idea that, you know, I've heard, I've, I've, I've honestly had many BIPOC company members say to me that, you know, they don't say anything because they don't think any good will come of it. Like what good can be, you know, why, why bother? Like why it's just going to keep happening. It's just going to keep, you know, and I think that's what I want to change. If there's one thing I think I would like to change about this industry, it's funny, Aaron, on the wardrobe behind the curtain episode that we did, right? You and Azalea were talking about the show. What, remind me which show it was that you were doing together, that you worked on together. We did Spamilton. We did Spamilton and we did The Low Road together. Yeah. Um, but Spamilton, we worked yeah. very And you were talking about, you both were sort of no. talking about how the life of, the, of that show, the backstage life of that show was something that would never happen yeah. again because it was all BIPOC, right? It was all, yeah. that like broke my heart just because I want that to be true for you no matter where you are, no matter what show you're doing, no matter who's with you, right? 
And the only way that that can happen is if people feel safe to to talk to someone about these things and feel like it's not that it's worth their time to bring it up, you know. And and mm -hmm. so I'm interested in ways to like create that that environment where. And I think you know you and I have talked about this this a lot about just having an agreement between us that like nothing is nothing is too small. Like we're we're just gonna work through this like step by step by step by step. And and I think that intention, you know, there's a big and I think true idea out there right now that you know intention doesn't matter and that you just because your intentions are good, the harm is still still occurs. But I think intentions don't matter is the wrong take. Intentions matter a lot. You can't learn if your intentions are not mm. good. Like, like I think that, you know, and I think that yeah. there's, there's to be frank and honest, like a lot of white people in our industry are just on eggshells all the time, like trying not to ever say something that might be construed as, you know, being that. And it's like, that's not that helpful either. Right. And if you're that worried about it, you know, you might need to, you might need to go <laughs> like, home it's, and it's like, that's <clears> not what we're yeah, doing some work like on a that. healthy environment yeah, where absolutely. people would be like, Hey, you know what? Not cool. Great. Yeah. We'll be willing to be called out. You know, it's a, it's a question of like, it's just like in your day-to-day, -day, like if you, if you're, if you have a close relationship with somebody and you've done something to unintentionally hurt them and they come to you and they express their hurt, what you should say, the empathetic response is, I'm so sorry that wasn't my intention. How can I do better next time? Yeah, you know, exactly. Because there will be times where maybe it's like, it, this is what, and this is something that I have to check myself in my own allyship, you know, moving forward, making sure it's not performative. Like, of course, I'm not going to intend to hurt somebody, but also like if I'm not willing to be called out and if I'm not like thinking about hearing what you guys are talking about when you're, when you were talking about, um, backstage at Spamilton and having it be all BIPOC, like, and thinking about Sean, you talking about our BIPOC company members coming to you and saying, I don't feel comfortable doing, doing anything about this. Like I think about, you know, it's having a backstage where like, we have a bunch of people who, you know, I know that we all want to be allies, you know, those of us that aren't BIPOC in the company, we do want to be allies, but like just making sure that we're holding each other accountable and being willing to, to be told like, this is really not okay that you said this thing. That's it. like I, the, the eggshells are like, we kind of maybe just have to stomp on them, yeah. you know, in order to actually get anywhere. It's like, because I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to coddle anybody. We shouldn't be coddled. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah it's yeah. so that's very real, especially when it comes to a racist microaggression. It's like, I don't, especially now i just don't have the patience to hold your hand through why you what you said was insulting or why what you said was racist and there have been people that like in past shows that i've worked on where they might have said something that very much felt like a microaggression and then i'll go up to them you know after that sometime i'll pull them to the side whether it's like five minutes later or a day later and i'll just say hey like this is why we can't why we don't say this or why we why what you said felt this way just letting you know like i understand that your intentions are pure of course but like just try not to say this or you know whatever that situation is and that's happened but there also have been times where 
I've received microaggressions from the people I'm supposed to report them to. And that's like a huge thing because it's like, then what do you do? Because even when I called that person out, it was just very much like, okay, I feel like this person received what I said, but I just can't full, to be very honest, I can't fully say that, you know, if I were to work with this person again, that like, it wouldn't happen again, just because of what that situation was. But, you know, it's, it gets really hard when you have to, especially when you're receiving it from people in higher power positions and that kind of thing. Um, but why do, why do you think we have compromised our rehearsal safety in the past in our industry? Oh, because people are so afraid of losing jobs because this entire industry is full of a scarcity mindset and people don't want to come forward. People don't want to come forward because they're afraid that, and it has been proven to show that if you make noise, you're deemed as a problem. And if there's a problem that gets in the way of money, because at the end of the day, yes, we all love this, but it is a business and the people running it are there to make a profit. You know, I and hopefully to work, and we work for producers who are really interested in making great art, of course, you know, which is great. But like so many other productions that I've seen are people, it's a business and people want to quiet anybody that causes a problem. I, I actually went through an experience. There was a show that I did down in DC and I experienced a microaggression and I went to the stage manager about it and I was blamed for the behavior that was thrust upon me. And I discovered that there were other people who had experienced the same thing with the same person in so many other productions at this theater. And none of them, none of them wanted to come forward because they all said that they were afraid of never working there ever again. This is a serious problem. Yeah. There, there needs to be no, like no consequence. The only consequence should be on the person who perpetrated the microaggression. There should not be any kind of consequence for the person that comes forward. It's hard enough to come forward in the first place. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Woo, I get mad about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's, I mean, I want you to, you know what I mean? Like, cause that's, that's the thing. It's like, okay, so we experienced this and, you know, again, especially with microaggressions, like some of them are micro, some of them are macro and we are even no matter how severe it is, the way we react is always like, you know, frowned upon because again, you know, you're making noise. And with everything with this article about Scott Rudin and everything that was happening, I just saw a lot of protection of him for a while. And it's like, why are we trying <laughs> so hard to protect, you know, a white man who has this like, has this rep clear reputation of being abusive in the workplace and money it's money and like i mean power yeah and the thing too is like you know at the end of the day i think all three of us on this episode right now can say that we love this industry we love theater we love doing this obviously but you know and i think that's also been a reason why we've compromised our rehearsal safety yes and i think a lot of the time you know I'm going to share the stat that I looked up. See, there was a report that Equity put out um, from 2016 to 2019. It was basically just a diversity report on all of the equity contracts in that time period. And the worst 
far and away the worst um, in terms of diversity is production stage managers, and in particular on uh, the equity or the production contracts, most heavily slanted towards white men. And I think that's part of the problem. You have the mixture of the people with the most power are also the people, as we discussed earlier, who don't experience microaggressions. Like that combination is 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 rough. And I say that as Dangerous. a white male production stage manager. And Aaron and I, you and I have talked about this, you know, before too. And it's a little bit the elephant in the room. These things are not going to change until the power structures in our industry more closely resemble the actual demographics of our industry. It's not about, mm-hmm. it's lovely to see 60% BIPOC representation, you know, on, on, on stage in various shows does not change the power structure, does not change who you report to, who handles these situations, you know, and I will say this, like it is, it's not that comfortable. It's not comfortable at all to be a white man in the position of having to, to negotiate these, these situations, you know, because you feel like instantly out of the gate, you're the least trusted person in the room. So the lack of diversity is bad for everyone. It's bad, you know, it's bad across, across the board. And I, and I think that, you know, until, until we change that. And I, you know, this is, this is the thing that's like, it's, it's going to take time. You know, I think I'm a little worried that when there's expectations that when we go back, that this part of what we're we're talking about, the, the, the demographics are going to shift instantly and they're not i mean they're not short of you know a lot of people leaving of their own volition you know which i don't know maybe we should talk about like i like there's part of me that's like yeah like maybe if we want a quick (laughs) a quick you know resolution or at least to take big steps forward as opposed to little baby steps forward like big steps forward it's like the producing offices, the, the boards of directors, the management t- teams, that all all the people who make who have the power. It starts at, at the top. It, it's just mm-hmm. got to be more representative, and that's harsh mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. It's harsh to say for you know, but is is, is it like, you know, some of us I think may need to step aside. I don't know. I feel like that's out there, and that's that's a people be like, oh, what are you talking? And it's like, no, let's talk about what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, especially when it comes down to, because it starts at the top and then, you know, when you see like when, if there is a problem or a, or the complete opposite or, you know, a business or a corporation or company that has like, that does amazing work, whatever they do, you always say, well, why are they great? And then you start at the top. And you work through it and you work your way down because mm-hmm. the people at the top obviously are the gatekeepers, the people, you know, who are providing the funds or whatever that may be in any industry, you know? And so I always think about that even, yeah, like I just think about that all the time because, you know, it has to, it has to start from somewhere. And, you know, I feel like when it comes to just, you know, oh, this cast is diverse. Like, okay, well that doesn't really mean shit because like, you know, we're just, we're like, we're just the face, but behind the scenes, behind the curtain, in fact, 
you know, there's, it doesn't always reflect that. And that's where it's, that's where it should start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, um, oh, there's, <laughs> so there's, I wanted to kind of share this, which I briefly shared with Jane and Sean before this, but I wanted to do this on the air as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was, there was a show that I was doing. It was a new play and I was really excited to do it. Um, and I was told from the beginning that, you know, I was going to be playing a slave in a scene and I was like, okay, you know, at least they told me at like my final callback that I'll be doing this. So I'm not, you know, showing up surprised or whatever. And I knew that going in, I knew there was going to be just one scene where I had to play a slave. It is what it is. I'm black. It happens. Um, and so, (laughs) and so, you know, we're, we finished rehearsals, we're in tech and, right before we start our first performances and previews um, in that slave scene, there was only a handful of us in the entire cast that were black and we played these slaves. And to add, I think our director just really needed more bodies on stage. That was this thing that this person kept saying, like, we just need more bodies. We need more bodies. And I'm looking around like, uh, where? Because I don't, (laughs) see any other black people who you want to play slaves so there was like this cardboard cutout that was behind us and i it was it was a choice and we had that to kind of represent you know more people more bodies and then since that wasn't enough we added a cast member who is definitely white and they covered every single part of his skin you couldn't even see his toes you couldn't see his eyeballs we gave him this huge hat that was just like oh my god why are we doing this why are we doing this and me and the two other black people in the show we got together like okay y'all like what are we what can we say what can we do like help help you know and what sucks is like we had to come together and be like okay, can we do this? Is this a good thing to do? Like, you know, whatever. And it's like, that just should be, that already should be like out the door because we put so much, you know, especially when you're in previews and you're like getting ready to open the show and things aren't frozen yet and things are adjusting. It's like, oh, like, I don't want to, you know, be the person responsible for ruining this or whatever. And in summation, what ended up happening was this white cast member who ended up playing a slave for most of those previews, he finally came forward and he had no problem going to management at all, at all, you know, and I'm glad that he was already so amazing about that, but it really took for him to, to, for the white people, to the white person to say like, hey, I'm really uncomfortable with this because I should not be playing a slave in this scene next to actual black people. Like, <laughs> it just does not work like that. And that is honestly a perfect example of like, for the white folks who are listening right now, you actually can affect change like that. That like, it is the most simple thing ever. Because if you see something happening to someone who isn't you you actually have the power to go to the management or the higher powers, whoever they may be, and say, you know, like, hey, this actually, we, why are we doing this? You can just ask. I think that alone is just saying, like, 
hey, what's what is the what's the choice for this, you know, part right here? And it actually makes a difference. And that to me is like truly being an ally because you're standing up for something. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I wanted to share that mainly because again, I just want the white listeners to out there to listen and say like, yeah, even if it's not affecting you directly, if you say something and you know that in your gut it doesn't feel right, then you you can actually make positive yeah. change and get mm-hmm. rid of you know those things and make the rehearsal space more safe. Although I have mm-hmm. to say in that particular example, if someone had asked me to do that, I would have been like, "Come again? <laughs> you want me? You, you, you want me? To, you want me to? Like, why you want me to do all what now?" <laughs> Like when I tell y'all, it was we were like a preview away from being frozen, and he was finally cut. Like, we have like why? two, three weeks of previews. I was like, is he really about to be in this show full time? Unbelievable. I was like, and he like, didn't want that either. Not. He did not. He was so uncomfortable with it, and I just oh. felt bad for him. Like I knew I was going to be a slave, but you tell a white person they're going to be a slave. With black people, that doesn't make any sense. I, well, this is the problem. And so often, especially as actors, we're told that we have to say yes to everything. We're told yeah. that it's like, this is, you know, because X, because you're going to lose your job, because you're going to lose out on another job moving forward, like things like that. People are so scared because we just see people just white knuckle mm-hmm. their jobs all the time. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and they just don't, they just don't want to say anything. Because they feel, because they're so terrified of that. So this is why I'm just so passionate about like, no, you have to come forward. It's, and I also feel like this is something, and this could be a whole nother conversation. It's like, this is something, all of this that can be taught in schools moving forward. Like if you go to some kind of a theater program, there should be some kind of DEI course where you learn about this, learn about rehearsal microaggressions, learn about allyship, learn about where the industry has been, hopefully where it's going. And also we need to have a section on sexual harassment in college. These are things that we need to start at the educational level so that people won't move to New York or move to DC or move to Boston or move to San Francisco or Chicago, wherever they decide to do professional theater and be so afraid of losing their jobs that they don't come forward when they see things that are a problem. Importantly, those things taught by people being paid to teach them. Like that's, that's, (laughs) (laughs) and not not putting the burden on, you know, (laughs) <laughs> other people yeah. to teach to teach that <laughs> i think that yes 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 although on that note on that oh, note man. aaron if i might um just real quick i yeah. i i do think though that i'm so grateful to you for our work on this podcast like what because we've you know you and i've been talking a lot working a lot this whole pandemic this has yes, been the have. Aaron and Sean yeah. pandemic. <laughs> we really have. We have talked a lot. And I'm just, I'm, as much as I do, and I understand and I subscribe to this, you know, the, the meme of Google it, right? It's not any Black person's job to teach you about this. Google it. I am 100% on board with that sentiment. However, having been the recipient mm-hmm. of very generous friend 
who's able, who was willing to talk with me and was willing to help me and was willing to, to just be open with me. It, it's important and it helps and it's not a requirement and it's not, you know, certainly not something anyone has to do, but I, for one, am very grateful <laughs> that, that you have, mm. that you have gifted that to me because I think that that's, you know, I just wanted to say that. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. Thank you for that. And to be honest, I'll be, I'll be so real. It's because I care about you. It's because, you know, like, yes, you're my production stage manager, but like, I love you. You're a friend to me, Jane. You are also a friend to me. Mm. Like, you know, despite you, both of you being all, all three of us being in rehearsals <laughs> all the time together, <laughs> all the time, throwing these chairs around, you know, it's like, I, I say this because I care about you. And if I didn't, I'm going to let you go and be stupid somewhere else. So, <laughs> that's just, yes. that's how I think about it. Yes. I'm only going to correct you if I care about you. And if I yeah. don't, go ahead and say that to somebody who actually will have yeah. some words with you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, and know. so just know that like, it's, it's all, it's all love. And mm -hmm. I don't want my friends to be looking stupid out here. So <laughs> out here in these streets. <laughs> And with that being said, we're going to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, before we all start going back to work and theater everywhere opens up again, we all are realizing what we want theater to be and what we want to leave behind. And so we have an opportunity here to make working conditions better in every show we do from now on. So the question I want to ask you both um, is, as dance captain and as production stage manager, what is one thing you plan on doing to ensure rehearsal safety when we go back to work? Sean, take it away. Well, I mean, I think the first, I mean, the very first thing that I, I think we have to do and I believe this is being organized and the unions are, the union is, is working on this. <laughs> if it is not, then we have to do it ourselves, right? Like, like we can't just, if they mm -hmm. don't do it, we have to, there needs to be some diversity training, as I was saying before, by a paid person who, who is, you know, trained in doing this and who can sort of address these things um, from, you know, from an educated perspective. And I think that just has to be done across the board. Like, 
that's that's the first thing you know and there's there's some really great resources on the actors equity website right now like in november they they did a a diversity training webinar um uh, what kaya dunn i think was 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 her name um it's excellent it's excellent it's a, a wonderful resource you can anybody can log in watch it right now and and it she really does an incredible job of just walking through like the basics right like like where we a starting point for us all to start from and so i think that that is that is the number one thing like secondly i feel like like we're saying like the persons the persons who are in charge of the rooms have got to be the safest space in the room for everyone and that means like like i don't ever want to hear someone ever say again i didn't say anything because i was afraid for my job like that is the problem that is the is is it, it has to away. be that, that culture has, has to just go got to it go. has and I think it, it is, it is yeah. incumbent mm -hmm. upon the person in charge of the room to sort of be that conduit. So to protect the person, right? And and turn around and sort of face the power and be like, this has happened. And if anonymity is required, anonymity should be respected. If anonymity, you know, if there are, like there, there are ways that the person in charge of the room can speak the truth to the power in ways that the, maybe some other people in the room can't, you know? So I think that's a big, mm -hmm. that's a mm -hmm. big, um, a big thing that, you know, stage managers can do. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, just eyes and ears open too. It's just, you know, I mean, don't, there's nothing wrong. You know, there's a, there's a line between speaking up for someone. Like I'm always hesitant to be like, you know, someone says something to you, Aaron, and, you don't say anything and I go to the person and say, Hey, I think that offended Aaron. Well, no, now I'm speaking for right. you. And it's like, it, and it's, it's like, yes. that's, that's not right either, but it's just being, I mean, that's why I think as unfortunate as it is, it is sort of like the person, the victim in the situation, well, victim's a terrible word, but the, the, the person being aggressed, <laughs> you know, micro, micro aggressed. <laughs> did I just invent that yes. word? I don't know. But, um, <laughs> Microaggress. <laughs> um, but I'll it is, it. you know, it's sort of there, there, there has to be at least some, I feel like some sort of like, Hey, come on like that, you know, and then for me to be like, got it, take, I'll take it from here. Like, you know, um, but you can't just step in and start like asserting for everyone and speaking for people because that's a dangerous zone too. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. I talked a lot. You talk, Jane. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I'm, a couple of things kind of come to mind, you know, um, so through some of the experiences that I've had um, with harassment in the workplace, um, something that I discovered uh, that there in Title VII, you are legally allowed to talk about any conditions in the workplace to anybody that you work with. That is something that you are absolutely allowed and freely given to talk about. No one can tell you that you're not allowed to talk about anything that you have experienced. So I think that this is something that we should, and not, I think that it would be really great for our company, but I think it would be great for every company moving forward is to sit down all together and be like, hey, there may be, like, we don't all need to be best friends. 
like, please, it's totally fine. Like, we're not talking about friendship here. But if we're talking about workplace safety, we need to all sit down in a room and be able to actually know that we can say something, either that we can report something to the person, you know, that is in charge of the room, or that we can say something to a colleague and be like, this made me feel really uncomfortable. To feel, to foster a sense of community and to be able to say to each other, hey, this happened to me. And this is not okay. Or, hey, this happened to me. And this upset me that this was your reaction to it because I feel like it invalidated my experience. There are things that we needed to be able to say as a community. And without, I feel like there's so many things when it comes to microaggressions, these are things that we just don't talk about because, because of the scarcity mindset of this industry that's just ingrained in all of us. And so I think if we can all sit down together and just be like, no, this is this has to be a safe space. To be able to literally talk about anything at all, because he, because it's going to fester if we don't talk about it. So fostering open communication and open dialogue, and also everybody just stop worrying about walking on eggshells all the time. Just be willing to be called out and say it. Um, another thing that I am doing personally um, in my own life, and also from a business standpoint, um, I have started the process of becoming a certified intimacy director. And so within the process, because I am so passionate about rehearsal safety, and so what we're in in the coursework right now, um, taking the class through IDC, they're absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, we're learning about communication. We're learning about context. We're learning about consent. And a lot of the reading that I'm doing to prepare to become an intimacy director is talking about being trauma-informed. And especially when you're talking about, especially our BIPOC company members and our BIPOC artists that we work with so much of, especially what they've experienced their whole lives and also in the past year. I mean, this is, isn't today the one year anniversary of the George Floyd murder. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Today. Yeah. So just thinking about that, there's so much trauma. And so I am really passionate of becoming, about becoming trauma informed and being able to have conversations with people um, and have a safe space. Part of intimacy direction, when you decide that you want to, um, a, they, that you're choreographing an intimate scene, you actually go into a private space with the people that you're doing that with and talk to them about what they're comfortable with. And so being able to have communication and conversations with people about what's upsetting to them, what's triggering for them, what maybe made them feel uncomfortable, but they're not sure whether or not their emotional response was valid, whether or not we deem it valid or not, like they're worried for themselves, whatever that thing might be. Just having that open dialogue is so important, you know? Yeah. And I, I keep forgetting that you have been doing, you know, intimacy um, coaching training. And I think that's amazing, especially to have a woman to, you know, go into that field as well is so major because, you know, like, it's just there, it can get problematic if mm -hmm. it's not, done the right way and you know we just again it just it can add to the lack of rehearsal safety if not mm. done correctly mm -hmm. um yeah. so the last question i'll ask y'all um what did you learn during all this time away that you want to bring back to come from away and that can be it doesn't necessarily have to be related as to what we have been talking about but just you know, just what is something you've learned during all this time that you're ready to bring back with us to work? <laughs> Sean, we both have the same look well, on her face. 
both of you grabbing your chins. It's like, <laughs> I've learned so much. <laughs> I think for, for me, it, even if it's personal, yeah, I, I, whatever. I think that yeah. for me, it is this concept. I mean, I, w- I will say that, I mean, in all honesty and fairness, like I have spent a lot of time on this subject over this pandemic. I mean, I think mm. a lot of us have, you know, and I think that I am someone who as you know, I'm sure many white theater people, you know, we've always fancied ourselves progressives and, 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 you know, allies. And I mean, I mean, you know, most of us have thought of ourselves that way up to this point. So it's not like, it's like, oh, this new revelation that, you know, the pandemic and, and, and George Floyd happened. And then, oh, there's a race problem in this country. Like, like, I don't think that's not where we came from, but I do think that I've never, certainly up until this point, had never done the deep, like, sort of soul searching about this um, that that I have done through, you know, working on this podcast, through many, many other conversations and, and groups. And, you know, we have a great um, book club that we started with the Come From Away family, you know, that's been a really, a really great and helpful, um, helpful thing. And I do think it is this, this concept that I, I, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but it is this, I, you know, putting my finger on like, what is the difference? And it is this, this freedom to, to be an individual, to the freedom from like the idea, like, why don't we call white people, people without color? Mm. Right. Like that because would be equal. The... <laughs> right. But this idea mm-hmm. of blankness, of neutrality, of, of, of a baseline of a starting point um something when compared to which other things are exotic like things all of these things are very problematic in how we how we think about it and and these are these are ways of thinking about about it that i i really had never dug that deeply into before you're right it's one thing I was thinking about this the other day that you go into a store and you're followed around the store because the store clerk thinks that you might steal something. You notice that you feel that as an attack, you feel that as a aggression, right? You walk into a store and nobody follows you around the store. You don't notice that you don't, it doesn't register to you at all. You don't leave the store and be like, huh, Nobody followed me around that store today. That's strange. Like it's, and so this is the, this is where white people I think are coming from, but it's a, it's an absence of, of these experiences. It's an absence of, of, you know, and, 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 mm-hmm. and it all stems, it all comes back to, you know, this luxury of, I don't have to think of myself as a white man. I think of myself as me. I think of myself as Sean and that's a luxury. It's a luxury because I've never been forced to identify myself mm. that way. I've never been forced to judge myself that way. I've never been put in a box that way, you know? And, and that's been a big re- revelation to me, like to think of it in those terms, you know, mm. that's my lesson. Wow. Mm. I'm, I'm definitely gonna marinate on that one. It, what about yeah. you, Jane? <laughs> I so, well, I so want to echo what Sean said. I think that there have been so many times over the past where, where I have realized that there are things, because of course, like, you know, in the theater industry, we're all like, oh, you know, we, we all 
pretty much vote a certain way and we all think a certain way and we're all allies and like whatever, but there's so much more work underneath that. Like, whoa, on so many levels and so many things that were ingrained that I didn't even realize, you know, and thing and things that I've real I've really had to catch myself and be like, oh my gosh. And I think that something that I have learned about myself in life is that I really value being able to show up for other people. But like, part of that is being willing to be so deeply uncomfortable. And in the human experience, we just don't want to be like, we seek comfort in all things. We don't want to be uncomfortable. But of course, the discomfort is where the growth lies, you know. Um, So that that is very much it's I just wanted to echo what Sean said there because it's been so important to like get really uncomfortable and to look at the parts of myself that I'm like, I didn't think that this was a problem, but maybe it is. And I don't like that, you know, especially when it comes to the conversations that we've been having over the last year. Um, I will also say the thing that I'm really definitely going to be taking with me to come from away is the fact that I taking care of myself valuing myself, my energy, my time, what I'm able to give is tantamount. That is so important. And especially in a leadership position in this company, if I am not taking care of myself, if I am not prioritizing my own needs, if I am not setting boundaries around my energy, I I had a... (laughs) I, I was just sort of, I, for lack of a better term, I'll call it sort of a group therapy program for the last nine months. It just ended. And we talked about me setting like Clint Eastwood, Grand Torino vibes around like my lawn, like my energy is my lawn. And anytime I try to set a boundary, I'm full of get off my lawn. Like, like we talked about me doing like a Clint Eastwood embodiment exercise. Like, and that, and that's, and that's just how I feel. <laughs> so like, just take that. If you take nothing else with you, uh, what I just said, take Clint Eastwood with you. Um, but I feel, I feel so protective of my energy. And so in order for me to be able to show up for people, especially moving forward, being able to make a safe space for other people in the rehearsal room, whatever it is they come to me with, And whatever it is that I may personally experience, I have to be prioritizing and taking care of myself. Because I think something that I have also done for the sake of the art, for the sake of what we love so much, we're so willing to sacrifice so much for it because it's so important. Mm -hmm. But, and I think that we've been taught that art is the most important thing. It's the only thing, but like we so often, like people really love to talk about losing yourself in your art and it's so beautiful. And, but like, and that's great, but sometimes that, you can lose your mental health. Yeah, like, know, no, no, and, no, no. And also, this is just about to be the end of Mental Health Awareness Month. And so it's like, I think it's, this is just something that we don't, we don't talk about prioritizing the self in the theater. Talking about standing up for ourselves, protecting our energy, making sure we're setting proper boundaries so that we can take care of ourselves, so that we can also take care of other people. Like, put your own mask on first. Like, mm-hmm. you got it, you know? <laughs> I, did, exactly. I, I just made a plain reference and I didn't even think about that with coming away. <laughs> anyway, that was not that. intentional. It was not intentional, I promise. <laughs> well, I mean, folks, I mean, like, I can't even express to y'all how not only am I just so proud to know you both, but I'm very proud to work with you both. And I'm so this conversation alone is getting me excited to just be back in the rehearsal room with y'all again, because when we're together and we create, and thankfully we have a really, you know, good rapport with each other that like, I have already felt comfortable with y'all and just going back, especially after this crazy time of COVID, like 
I'm just so so excited and very privileged to work with both oh, of you. Thank you. It's so, going to be a miracle that we get anything done because we yeah, laughed so hard. <laughs> like we cut up, y'all. Y'all, we, we but we also uh, get it done. We like do? we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> Yeah, we do. We get it done. We have a rock star group of standbys and stage management. The standbys standbys and the stage management at Come From Away. We're all just... You haven't seen Come From Away until you've seen it done by six six people and three stage managers. Like, that's... that's... And then Miss Pennington singing Me in the Sky. Like, you know, <laughs> just, I cannot wait to hear those dulcet tones as soon as we get back, yeah, sir. Yeah, I cannot or when wait. You, or, or whenever you have to play Nick or Diane. Uh, it's I, not, it's I not Nick or Diane. Problem. It's playing Nick and Diane. That is my problem. And Nick <laughs> and I'm looking forward to that uh, uh, most. It's so good. Yeah. Oh. But Man, whenever that's going to happen. <laughs> truly, whenever, at some point. Some point. Will, at some point, that's us right. in the sky. That's right. Us okay. in the sky. <laughs> but Jane, Sean, thank you so much for coming on this episode. Sean is he's so on excited. the air today. He's not behind Aaron, the scenes. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank of you course. So much. Of course. Thanks for asking me to be a part of it. I'm really, again, just very privileged to know you both and to work with you both. So. I love you both. And for all of those that are listening, thank you for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.